0: It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. is all fall. Uh, we got a lot of good guests lined up with the connects at the final four. I think maybe next year in the final four, we just do like a booth and just roll through like a hundred of these. But um, I think you'll enjoy today's pod because I want to hit really on three things to think about. But when I say three things, it, there's a lot of depth to it. So let's start with the college basketball final four kind of recap. And there's several different levels of recap because, you know, off the floor of the final four, there's not just the host city and all that, that, all that stuff, but also, you know, jobs. And in college basketball, final four usually coincides with coaching jobs and with coaching moves. Um, We'll get to those, I think in, in, in short order, but not with this pod with college basketball. Like let's take a case study of, of what we saw, you know, I'm really fortunate to get to work for Westwood one covering the NCAA tournament. And, uh, when you're doing all this work, you end up seeing every game, like all 68 games I watched and I I was pretty thorough with how I watched all of them too. Like when you're most people, when you do studio work and I've done studio work going back to the ESPN days, you know, you'll have six games on at once, and you try and take some notes, some mental notes, some physical notes. You get some box scores. You see some highlights. You, you try and... You, I've always tried to really be be not just an opinion giver and an analyst, but also at times, you've got to tell the real story of what happened in that, that those games because there's nothing more infuriating, I think, from a fan's perspective than when somebody who's supposed to be an expert says they watch the game, but they're really just reading off stats, right? So you try and, and so so that's how I first try and, it's not usually the job of an analyst to tell the story, but you can tell the story within your analysis, if that makes any sense to you, right? You know, it's like, uh, I'll never forget, I was on a set one time, and it was when Florida lost in the NCAA tournament, to Louisville in the Elite Eight, and at halftime they came to us and they said, at the time Florida was you know pressing and Billy Donovan was there, was maybe I think Billy against against Petito. and it, the question was about pressing. Why didn't they? Why didn't they press more? And by the time they came around to me, there were several other people on the desks and they were being critical of Florida's game plan because here they are, all their offense they create off their press, and they hadn't pressed in the first half. And so, um, you know, because you look at the turnovers, and uh, let's say Louisville at the time had like three, four turnovers. Well, the problem with it was that Florida had only made four field goals and was like, I'm going to say four of 11, something crazy from the free throw line. Where they had, or maybe 7 11 from the free throw line, but they had missed the second free throw in all of those missed free throws, never the first free throw. And so I was trying to explain, you know, you're you trying to explain is the analysis of not just what happened, but why. You know, they were saying, not this, they were saying the why, like, why is Florida not winning? Well, they're not pressing. And they forgot to point out the what, which was, oh, hey, Florida only made four field goals and they, they'd missed, you know, three second free throws or four second free throws. And so it's hard, You can't press. Yeah. Only skip Rosser's Xavier teams were the only teams I can ever remember that purposely pressed on a missed basket. Anyway, so working in studio can be a really, can, can be a lot just because, you know, you're trying to, you have to manage yourself in your own time. There's usually some decent food. Everybody's having a conversation. You're trying to tell people what's coming up. And when you work for Westwood One, you don't have those distractions, right? There's the food distraction, but you know that comes a couple times a day. And maybe you get up once to go get a cup of coffee. But otherwise, I watched every game. And you know what my biggest takeaway is? There's a lot of ways to win a basketball game. There's a lot, lot of ways to win a basketball game. You know what? What simple analysis of the NCAA tournament would be is you got to have guards to win the NCAA tournament, and by and large, you do. You know, by and large, you have to have quality backcourt play, especially in college basketball, more so than the NBA. You got to have quality. You, you do have to have quality backcourt play, but a lot more people can handle in an NBA game than. You know, in a college game, and and the game is is just different. But you got to have guards to win in to win in March. Well, UConn just won a national championship, and I'm not taking a shot at Tristan Newton. He scored a ton of points, 3,266 points in high school in El Paso. But the reality is that UConn, a program that previous to this. UConn national championship team. Everyone had had not one, but two point guards on it. You know, like people forget that Shabazz was on the same team as Kemba. You know, that Ricky Moore was on the same team as uh, as Khalid El Amin. Right. So UConn goes from having, having two point guards and one usually being a star. Right. And when anytime they won a national championship, that they always had a star guard, point guard, and combo guard. Same thing happened when you know Kemba and and uh, and Ben Gordon. Uh, now he's obviously more of a combo or two guard, but the point is, you got to have great guards, right? Like Hawkins is just a shooter, and Tristan Newton is not a point guard, and they were able to get by without having a true point. I, I actually think that of the things that should be discussed with UConn's national championship run, I don't think the level of dominance is it's impressive, but you have to take the context of they didn't really play any of the teams that would be considered the top 20 teams in the country based upon seating. That's not their own fault. But I think that's one of the reasons there was such an incredible disparity in some of these scores. And I'll I'll fully admit, I picked them to lose to Iona in the one bracket I filled out. You know, you got to pick some upsets. And the logic behind it was, well, they didn't have a point guard. And, you know, traditionally, traditionally, when you don't have a point guard and you, you face a team that pressures and presses, like Rick Pitino's club's, Rick is an incredible tournament coach as well. But of the things that should be discussed is a lot of times we think of college basketball as you get the best players and whoever gets the best players to play the hardest and play the most together and share the ball. And, you know, you create relative space for them. My guys are better than your guys and they're playing together better. Now I'd say that UConn's guys are really good. But that's a team that had to run a system. They had to run a ton of sets. They had to space you out. They had to find ways to create shots for each other with off-the-ball movement, way more so than even on-ball on screens. You know, that's just not a team. That, now, the Tristan Newton in the championship game is, was just bigger than Darion Tremel and he could get in the lane and finish over him. But getting it up to court was a bit of a, you know, was a bit of an adventure. And here you're like in a national championship game and man, they can barely get the ball up the, uh, up the court. So I, I look at the UConn thing and that was in many ways a coaching win. You know, a coaching win. In that in order to win at that level with that level of efficiency with that roster, as impressive as a roster as it is, it had to be created off really all the preparation and and coaching you can do to put in sets and an offense that fit your personnel, and that allow you to succeed without having a true point guard or somebody that really you know puts it on the deck and creates for others. So I I think that was it's a fascinating case study. But the but the end statement, which is a really a statement I've heard said many a time, but it it couldn't be more true, is there's a lot of ways to win a basketball game. The just are. Especially a college basketball game, you know, and there's a lot of creative ways to lose a basketball game as well. Right? Bob Ritchie's going to join us, and we'll put him on the pod. Of course, he was head coach at Furman, and they famously beat Virginia. Like, are you kidding me with how they beat Virginia? You know, you, you don't you don't think that the uh, Kehe Clark is not was not the best point guard in the country. But if you said who's the most solid point guard in the country, if you if you pulled coaches and you put a list, right, he would be among two or three that you would go. You know, this guy may not win you a championship. This guy may not win you a game in the NCAA tournament based upon his own exploits. But this guy is not going to lose you a game. And you know what? He did. He did. But there's a lot of ways to win. I mean, um, San Diego State, in order to win in the national semifinals, that's the beauty of San Diego State winning where, man, they just kind of maul you defensively, funnel you to their bigs, super physical. They switch on everything, you know, with certain lineups. And then, you know, offensively, they kind of move it around. They run some sets, but their best offense is – you know, rebounding and putting it in. Ironically, I love the fact that uh, the nation has finally learned about Xing on free throws. Something they've done at San Diego State for years and years. Uh, actually, for over twenty years since nineteen ninety nine. Like it's it's a real drill they do. Where not even drilling, it's you drill it in somebody's head. When they shoot free throws at practice, they have three guys at a hoop, and one guy shooting, the other two X, and you just get a program in your mind. This is what we do. I had a lot of people go, hey, I saw you tweet about that. How do they practice that? It's really simple. They just, every time they shoot a free throw, they X. No questions asked. So, um, I mean, and look, you look at how Florida Atlantic won games, you know, playing way, a lot of five out. And then when, you know, when, when Golden was in the game, they'd, they'd run four out, one in with a ton of ball screen stuff. I did think that against San State, trying to throw it to him in the post, you know, it's one of the things that, that, uh, that, that I've come to believe, which is there are exceptions to this rule. And Tristan Newton playing exceptionally well for the most part is a bit of an exception to the rule. And this is going to be a hard one in the transfer portal. And it's the question that I think a lot of you who are college coaches who listen wonder about, when you're finding a kid in the portal is um, what does that kid look like at a higher level of competition? And, and many of the, and it's not as much right now with some of the younger players because COVID and COVID year seniors in the transfer portal. And I think we'd all agree that you miss more on high school players now than you, than you did previously. Right. Um. Because, you know, because the evals or the time to eval is very, very different. And you let them go to a lower level school and then maybe you transfer up if they develop. And maybe they want to take that first scholarship offer if they're not a top 50 kid. Mm. But there are times in which you level out a little bit. And Vladislav Golden, um, I think he's really good. And they used him very smartly. But in terms of, you know, catching and posting up and rolling, you know, the San Diego State guys are really athletic and really strong. They had at least three, if not five, turnovers trying to feed him in the post. So let's get back to San Diego State. How they how do they win? They win the way they always win, defense and rebounding. And then you just throw in a shot to win a game. But that's very different from how UConn won. Also very good defensively. Bit of a different scheme, right? Because they don't switch five. They funnel you to Sonogo or to Klingen. And those guys are a gigantic back line. Um, and I thought that they did a, you know, Klingen especially did a better job as the year went on of uh, recovering and guarding out in the perimeter. But how they won by spacing you, playing quickly in transition, shooting threes, especially off their actions, getting slips and rolls. And and then, obviously, very good defensively. San Diego State, defense, and then just kind of try and maul you on the glass, whether it's field goals, field goal attempts, or free throw attempts. You know, Miami, they want to pressure you defensively and then spread you out and shoot a bunch of threes and then run to rebound. And then Florida Atlantic, also some five outs, four out, one in, with a lot of roll, rollers, but um, – and and I and – I, and like, look, you could easily make the case they should have won the San Diego State game because their actions they ran were incredible. But you got to prepare for the whole team. And there's a portion of that game that they weren't prepared for with the with the free throw box outs. But the end-all-be-all all takeaway is there's a lot of ways to win college basketball games. You know, sometimes it's with five out, sometimes it's with big lineups, sometimes it's with small lineups um and and I also appreciate that these teams are committed to who they are, mostly because of their personnel, but some of because this is who they are right like San Diego State's personnel has changed over especially over the last ten years. you got what you know some are scoring guards, some are just defending guards, whatever, but they kinda you know they'll adapt defensively, but the idea is still the same. The other part too it is. Danny Hurley kind of dismissed this and he's going to come on the pod, but he said, you know, he made it out like the Big East didn't really get them back to where they are. And and look, he would know about his program far better than we would. But I would challenge him on that because here's the part of the American that everybody in the conference would say, but they would never say aloud because you just don't say it when you're in a conference. It's really hard to get People in stores Connecticut are, you know, not just the students on campus, but to get people from West Hartford <clears throat> to drive in for Tulane. Um, when Wichita was down, it suddenly started to get down, like Wichita, East Carolina, you know, South Florida. These are just not even Houston. When Houston got good, like that's it's. Unless there's a high ranking by their name, what about Houston makes me get up out of my bed? And look, this is not the same Big East. It doesn't have Syracuse. Georgetown's not any good. Um, You don't have Pittsburgh. So you don't have some of these traditional rivalries for a lot of the older people that come to those games, and they come because they want to see Georgetown versus UConn. They, They want to Villanova. But there's at least a lot more familiarity. And then you add in Xavier was really good. Um, DePaul's at least been competitive, but Providence is old big East as well. You know, Northeastern kids. So, so there is, there's some familiarity and what it does is it allows you to sell seats and bring back the positive vibes. Even if it didn't look at all like the old big East and it looks partially so like it. The fact is that just the name, the big East kind of stirs up all the memories of all the great teams and games of the past. And, and, you know, the other statement of college basketball is, hey, your league matters way more in terms of filling up your building than it does some sort of league pride and representation. I like the Mountain West reaching the final four does not suddenly eliminate the fact that the Mountain West hadn't won a tournament game in years, you know, San Diego State won. But you got to be in the right league. The right league is kind of everything, you know. And as San Diego State explores the possibility of of what league they want to get into, you know what the pack looks like and what the Big Twelve looks like, it's really really important. Uh, facility wise, they can absolutely compete in the Big Twelve today. As of today, they could. Their practice facility would be right there, middle of the pack. Their arena would be. Right there, probably middle of the pack. Um, but please understand it's a higher level of competition on a game by game basis. And like, no one thinks more of what Tim Miles has done at San Jose State. But if San Jose State is, you know, close to the bottom of your league, look at the bottom of the Big 12. At the bottom of the Big 12, at the end of the season was Texas tech and Oklahoma state and West Virginia. <laughs> so, whereas Wyoming, that was a dumpster fire, Colorado state, you know, and then you get to San Jose state. Right? So uh, you got to be in the right league um, geographically, and you got to be in the right league in terms of the level of, of player that you're bringing in. and, Like, I'm interested to see what BYU does. I think BYU should be better than they've been, but they were fifth place in the WCC. What are they going to look like? What are they going to look like in the Big 12? That's big boy basketball.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
0: It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay.
1: Cataracts are
0: the primary cause of avoidable blindness.
1: He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result: more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at Meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact.
0: impact. 2nd statement is: uh, got to be in the right league. You know, I think. I think Beheim said it several times over about Syracuse. And I know that he made a final four while in the ACC, but they haven't been competitive at the top of the ACC. They're in the wrong league. That's not who they are. And UConn fell apart for a lot of reasons, but being in the wrong league was a big, big reason. Big, big reason. Uh, last college basketball statement is, I'm becoming more and more aware of a lot of these NIL deals and how they're the the norm. They're not one-offs. Um, that guys are getting well compensated. Uh, I don't think it's as universal as many in the portal would lead you to believe or many pundits would lead you to believe. But they're, at the top end, there's a lot of money to be had. And like, look, this is the path we've chosen. But I think there's – and and Dan Hurley pointed this out. He said on, on his roster, no one came to UConn because of NIL. And I think that's probably the smartest way to say that it, it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to want to or have to compensate guys when they transfer. It's just the reality is like, okay, if somebody's offering you something – And somebody's offering you nothing, you know, no matter how much you like the person offering you nothing, they're not offering you something. And so you go somewhere, they're going to offer something, even if you don't like them as much as the guy offering nothing. Right. On the other hand, you just, it's a buyer beware, you know. And, and, and some of these kids are really smart. Like I'll, without naming names, because people get really in a huff. A good portion of these guys understand, hey, this is actually as good as it's going to get. I am not, I'm very unlikely to be able to capitalize in the NBA on my basketball ability. Collecting money overseas, even for some of these guys, like, look, you got to go overseas to make money overseas. But oftentimes to make the real money overseas, you got to play at a lesser rate. You know, some of these guys, you're going to go make four or five, six a month just to start build up a resume and reputation, and then you start making money. Meanwhile, this is time spent away from the United States, time spent overseas. That's not always easy for most of these guys. Um, So, you know, like I know of a guard who left and I asked his people, why is he leaving? He's in a great situation. He's been a starter. He's been really well regarded. And they were asking for upwards of a half a million to $600,000. I don't know if they'll actually get it. I don't know how these deals are actually done um, in terms of with the collectives and what it looks like on paper as opposed to what it looks like when it's being discussed. But their point was, he's not an NBA player. This is the time in which he can make the most money. Of course he should go. And I I understand that. Like, like a Hunter Dickinson thing. You know, Hunter Dickinson seems like a pretty smart kid. Now, I I'm not sure I love the idea if he goes to Maryland suddenly, like he wouldn't he wouldn't go to Maryland the first time. And I know that he tries to he tells people all the time that they didn't offer him. I've been told that nothing would be further from the truth. But all of that is it really is a moot point because what matters is Hunter Dickinson, whether you like it or not. And I just I don't think you transfer in your league especially when you played in that league for four years and now you're going to compete against a school that you have a degree from. I don't know. It's, the, Hunter Dickinson is going to be, a, if he, if he goes to a big 10 school, if he goes home to Maryland, um, h- how can you welcome him back to Michigan hoops as an alum? And, Maybe it goes really, really well with Maryland. But even at Maryland, like, is he one of your guys if he has one great season where he played four seasons against you? And there was a lot of shit talking about each other going back and forth, especially Dickinson talking about Maryland. Now, he can put it off and say, hey, it was Mark Turgeon, It wasn't. But it it, it doesn't really matter. really doesn't. What matters is how we view it. But I I do think that there's a certain reality to it where you go, hey, I could stay here and play another year, or I can put myself in a – it's like a a guy who should be franchise tagged for one more year, or you get out of it and go and make some legit money because the likelihood is Hunter Dickinson, while he could make, I don't know, a million dollars? The likelihood of him making a million dollars in the NBA in the next year or two is not strong. He's a very good college basketball player. This is not me shitting on him in any way. I, I like him a lot more. And people are like, Well, what about his attitude and his theatrics? Like, I you know, look, um some of that stuff can be a little over the top. It's usually not directed. It's the I we're more directed to the fans. He's like a world wrestling, it's like a WWE character more so than than any sort of like uh, flamboyant basketball player bad boy but we've discussed this before you do have to have a bad guy every movie has to have a bad guy every basketball team has to have a bad guy you just can't have too many of them you know because then they you know then they become a a gang like you know you get two or three honor Dickinson's and it's like it's like a biker gang like yeah we don't need we don't need all that I guess I was Tennessee this year. Anyway, point is, I understand Dickinson going like, hey, I fulfilled my obligations here. Now I'd like to go and capitalize on everything i built. I, I do that. I, I understand. Now I don't know what he would have made to stay and play another year and been a true hardcore Michigan man. And maybe I don't think that's possible in this case, Some of these relationships, the coaches are worn out. The players are worn out. It's better for just a fresh start. I think that's a good portion of it. Um, So I understand. But I'm also going to point out that that doesn't win you championships. What UConn did was, you know, yeah, they have a couple of transfers. Um, Tristan Newton stepped up a level from East Carolina. Right, moved, Moved up a level. Um, the, the rest of their transfers are guys that were looking for a new home. They weren't dudes that were chasing a check and, uh, a good, uh, you know, mo- their are starting lineup. Those are guys they, they recruited and they developed the traditional way still works. Standing state has always been a program that takes transfers always. Now, not all these guys, they're about half and half with this team. um, but the transfers weren't guys that were any different from other transfers they have. You know, Jaden Ledee comes off the bench for him. Like there's the guy who's on his third sixth, third school, right? So he's played at two high majors, and he transferred. I would say down to the to the Mountain West, even though um, San Diego State is is a high major. That's still transferring down a level from Big Twelve and Big Ten. Uh, Darion Trammell, he transferred up a little. He was San Francisco City. Then he was at Seattle U. Uh, The head coach got fired right early in the season. And then he left at the end of the season after averaging 20 a game. Those are the same type of transfers that San Diego State has always got. Always got. Now, do they have some NIL, I'm sure. But I would also tell you that those aren't guys that were commanding huge dollars in NIL in order to pick in San Diego State. Um, tell everybody they were only chasing after the NIL. So statement number three about college basketball is there's a smart way to do this. And there's no, just like there's no one way to win a basketball game. There's no one way to build a team, but you absolutely positively do not have to build a team. By going out and paying top dollar for the top guys on the market in NIL. And you can be very, very successful. You know, Nigel Pack was the only guy that somebody laid out top dollar to. And I'm not sure if you if you researched it, but the guy Ruiz, who was championed as, you know, Mr. NIL, and he was bragging about how much money he's going to give next year. You thought this year was good. Yeah. Now he's being sued by his business partner and their stock is in the toilet. So there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of ways to win a game. Being in the right league matters and you can't it doesn't mean you can't but you don't have to and many have been more successful building a team with players who aren't chasing the largest check all right let's get to the angel reese thing uh, if you watched any of my stuff on social media, if you've listened to any of my things on the radio show, which, by the way, you can listen to daily, 3 to 5 Eastern, 12 to 2 Pacific. If you've watched, if you've listened, you would know that I feel like I'm the only one telling the real truth here from a like a basketball perspective. First thing is, the if, I was excited about the game. You know, you're not getting me to go into Neanderthal mode and go like, well, you know, it's just women's basketball. And I'm not going to lie. I haven't always been a fan of women's basketball. And there's a lot of the theatrics and stuff that took place in that game, which I would say a lot of us who parachuted to win were like, what? This is a weird alternative universe. That's actually probably the lead in talking about women's college basketball. There's a time at at ESPN when I was asked to do what's called a full circle broadcast, and the full circle broadcast was like six cameras and me and one of the analysts. were basically like, I I had to kind of call the game, but really we're just talking about all the different screenshots, all the different ISOs on coaches and. Uh, ISOs on players and what we're seeing and all the surrounding things. It was before the days in which you could really go second screen, but it was a great second screen show. It was pretty fun. But I remember spending and it was in Cleveland, it was that Rutgers Yukon Final Four. Rutgers, Tennessee Final Four, where Imus had said his stupid stuff. Um, the day, the day of the championship game. The day of the championship game. So I just come out the men's final four, flown to the women's final four, and I just remember like it looks like the NCAA tournament. It sounds like the NCAA tournament, but it's it's like an alternative version of everything you're used to. And like the perfect example is that championship game where uh, women's basketball is officiated very differently than men's. Usually, you can't the the coaches can't say anything to the officials, and the Iowa coach complained about it afterwards. Like I, I just couldn't even communicate with them. Meanwhile, at the other end, I mean that's like a Wayne Newton look that she was rocking. You know, Kim Hokey is wearing some like ridiculously bright outfit, and I I know that's her thing. But again, like, the men's side doesn't do that. It's very different. Um, so I've just used that as the backdrop. I mean, the the taunting and trash talking and hand gestures, like outside of too small, that no one does that in the men's game. And it's one thing to do it. It's another thing to champion. it. But in the game itself, I was super excited. Um, I thought South Carolina's game plan, you know, of never running to it, Caitlin Clark, off a ball screen, or just when she brings up the ball up the court, just run two at her, make her give it up, and then deny her the ball back, and then when she gets it back, run two at her again. Not that hard. Make somebody else beat you. But I thought that that game, you know, the LSU-Iowa game, was ruined by the officiating. You know, even Angel Reese being in foul trouble in the first half. Like, what, what are we doing? I came here to see the kids play, not you ref. But part of that is the alternative world of women's college basketball. We've seen officiated be bad in the men's game. The difference is in the women's game, especially the female officials, in, in like an effort to show solidarity with each other, but also in kind of ownership of the sport. They think they own the sport. The officials. It's really the, the egos there in many ways, are ridiculous, considering, I, you guys are all supposed to be in this together to try and grow the game. And you're not helping. So I thought the officiating was atrocious. Not, uh, you know, yes, they let Kim Mulkey get away with everything. And, you know, you, you give Caitlin Clark a technical foul for batting a ball out of bounds like a delay a game. Like, what are we doing? It's a championship game. But the most important part is all this Angel Reese nonsense, you know. And I understand trash talk takes place. I've actually played basketball, as you know. There's interesting trash talk and just outright taunting. And, you know, Caitlin Clark has said when she did the You Can't See Me, it was to her coach. She had a shot. She turned around. I think it was because it was against this Haley Van Lith, who is a noted trash talker. And the first thing is, like, guys don't talk that much trash. They're not that loud about it. They're not that proud about it. And maybe some of it is we don't hear it as much because – some of the arenas are a little quieter on the women's side at times. But it's like they take what they think is the core part of basketball, the trash talk element, and amp it up to a level, almost a, a, a dramatic level, that it doesn't actually exist in the men's game. Like None of that stuff happens. I, like I said, I watched all 68 games. That shit didn't happen anywhere else other than the women's games. So that part's a little weird. But if you, because so many people didn't watch Caitlin Clark, it's not like she's taunting everybody she plays against with hand gestures and getting in their face. Angel Reese said she did the John Cena, you can't see me, for two reasons. One, because they didn't guard one of the girls from South Carolina. And two, You know, basically everyone else supported her because Caitlin Clark had done that once in the Louisville game. Okay, first of all, so let me get this straight. An opposing team dared another person to shoot as part of the scanner report. And you took such offense to it that you talk trash when you're up 15 against the same team and you play for a different team, in a different game. Just walk yourself through how bizarre that is. And you're like, okay, let's move on. The Twitter sphere wants to support her because, well, it's about all women, and all women should support all women. Okay, that doesn't make sense to And the other thing, you'll, and I'll get from former teammates, other guys I respect who played. Hey, man. Just trash talk. She can't take. She wasn't talking to Angel Reese. She wasn't talking to LSU. And oh yeah, by the way, it's not trash talk to wait till you're up 15 when no one's been talking the whole game. Get in somebody's face and then taunt them. And I I can't even, I can't even begin to get into the. Well, I don't want to go to the White House. Because Joe Biden, some what seems like nice old lady was like, let's just invite everybody over. You know, Joe Biden. It's like I, I get it. It's like a participation trophy, and but Joe Biden was like, is very much like the your mom when you had a birthday party when you were seven years old. Okay, you have to invite the entire class so nobody's sad. That's what it is. Like, and if you didn't think that's how this White House thinks, I would I would invite you to go and watch the uh, the vice president go into the locker room of Howard after they got blown out in the NCAA tournament. The UVA thirty, she's like, you made everybody so proud today. They're just so proud of you. Like those guys in the locker room for Howard. Those guys are mad. They're pissed. They want to win. Like, there's no attaboy because you won. Yeah, Howard had a great year. It doesn't matter to a college because he wants to win the freaking game. So it sounds condescending, but that's who they are. They're not trying to be condescending. They're actually just trying to be nice to people. But it's so weird because so many people are not really nice. And, and the Joe Biden thing, like, she went to the game. It was a great game, a great atmosphere, did a great number. And I'm sure she's sitting there going like, let's just invite everybody over and everybody will be happy. Winners, losers, it's just the right time. So Angel Reese is like taking it as, well, you said it's sportsmanship because I didn't show good sportsmanship. Well, first of all, it wasn't good sportsmanship. It it didn't, didn't exude the class you need. And part of it is, I think most of it is who you play for. You know, ask yourself this. If you're a coach and you're listening to this, you're going to let your kid go into a, di- that you can't see me when you're up 15 in a championship game. Says so celebrating with their teammates. course time. Nobody would. It's not what we do, you know? And then, you know, she gets into the, she just walks herself into some political statement that doesn't make any sense. She doesn't want to go to a Joe Biden, but she'll go with the Obamas. Like, huh? Excuse me. Yeah, it's not actually the way it works. And what are the chances that Amber Reese knew that Joe Biden was Barack Obama's vice president? What what are the what are the chances? But this is what happens when you know you people are saying things. that I mean, like, look when it, when she first got on the set and said that basically she was taunting Caitlin Clark because she felt Angel felt disrespected or that she so greatly disrespected a girl from uh, South Carolina. When she first said that that's when you need as an SID or somebody who's watching out for a young woman to pull her aside and say like, Hey, let's just keep it to the game. And if Caitlin Clark goes back and, Financially, she should come back. If Taylor Carr comes back, like it's not enough. Say, like you can't be mad anymore. No one's ever mad. She can't really be upset because it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you she's know, just saying something that doesn't. I mean, it happens when you're young and you first get on TV. I I don't understand the logic. But the last thing is this: it's a it's a great opportunity for the women's game to grow. I just don't know if they didn't screw up for many of us men's fans or mainstream basketball fans with the kind of uh, the, diff- the, the flamboyance of, of one coach, the ridiculously terrible officiating, and then this taunting nonsense, which turns a lot of people off because the actual substance of the game, LSU is awesome. I mean, and I'm sure part of it is NIL, but they were so deep. They were in foul trouble, and you know they bring people out the bench that can make buckets, whereas Iowa, when you get to the bench, it's not the same. Um, Taylor Clark's good for the game. I mean, last year, I saw her more as a checker. She continues to develop, and LSU was, I mean, they were, they weren't perfect, but they were close, too, especially considering the foul trouble. I mean, they had 59 at the half, and they had like three or four players in foul trouble. It's crazy, but I, I don't. I don't really. I. I don't think anybody who's not on air, or if they stop and think about it, wants to champion, Angel Rose, taunting, Kaylen Clark. Like that's never what it's been about. Ever. Okay, I told you I had, I had, men's college basketball. I had women's. Now, here's this on the NBA. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I watch every NBA game. Um, I try and watch as much as possible. Obviously, once you get to late February, early March, it's very hard to watch a full game, especially of NBA. But when I've watched and I've watched a lot. I continue to believe that Joel Embiid is the most overall gifted, talented player and he's Last couple, two years, he's put it together. I mean, a man that size, over seven feet tall, shoot threes, handle, rebound, pass, do everything. He's great. Um, And if you want to give him the MVP, because he hasn't gotten one, and he's probably the best player in the league this year, can't really argue with that. Uh, Jokic is equally remarkable. I didn't love that. I mean, I, I said this on my radio show. I don't know how you'd give MB the MVP when he didn't play against Jokic the second time around. Like, they go and play in Denver, well, why did not you play in that game? You're, you you want to show yourself a competing against the other guy in the league and make an argument. You can't just make the argument, hey, when we played at my place, we dominated you. All right, now go back and play at their place and see how that goes. But Jokic, um, and I've seen the stat where, you know, he gives up more shots at the rim than anybody in the NBA. That, that's just, that's by, by design. He's an amazing player and different from Embiid, right? Obviously, not as athletic, not as gifted, but he finds a way to make plays. He's an unbelievable passer, a smart rebounder, a good shot blocker. Um, and he's carried his team to greater heights than Embiid in terms of the last two regular seasons. It's a regular season award. If you give it to Jokic, I'm not really offended. I think he's incredible. And he's going to play more games than Embiid, even though he didn't play last night at the time of this recording. Um, Giannis, similar to the other two, the whole thing's built around him. He gives you things to both ends that nobody else can. And considering how well the team has performed and how everything's built around him, uh, there's no, yeah, I got no problem if you give it to Giannis. But in terms of value to a team, I would make the statement that Jalen Brunson should win the MVP. Because what you have to do is think back to the end of last season. The Knicks were an abject disaster. There's a good amount of conversation that Tibbs, this was going to be it. He can't connect with these guys. Blood out of a rock. Julius Randle, miserable end of season playoff run. Gosh, the Knicks are short Now, yes, Quentin Grimes is coming to his own. But let's be honest. The one big change is Jalen Brunson. Brunson's efficient. Uh, he's, but but he also—it's not like he doesn't score, right? I mean, he's scoring mid twenties a game. He's obviously a very good passer, excellent defender, and there's a there's a winning quality. They go last year they, you know, they already won forty seven games this year. Last year they won, I think uh, thirty seven all year long. But more than anything, it's just the vibes. Of the team, right? It's not even about uh, pure wins and losses. Like the Knicks are fun. The Knicks are good. The Knicks are competitive. And Julius Randle's having the best season of his career. Huh, what could that be about? Maybe he's got a point guard and a leader that takes care of all the stuff that Julius Randle doesn't want to do and can't do. You know, Julius Randle's not a leader. He's not a talker. He's not a guy who sets other people up. That is Jalen Brunson. That's what Jalen Brunson does. And so all Julius Randle has to do is find his spots, his places on the floor where he can swim. And he's very good at that. Look around the rest of the Knicks. How many other guys are having career years? What do you think that's about? An egoless superstar who creates shots and opportunities for other people. My point is that if I had a vote, and for some reason I do not, and other people do, but whatever, they watch more of the league, that's fine with it. If I had a vote, I would vote Jalen Brunson as the league's MVP. Um, The change there is amazing. The trajectory of Tibbs, the trajectory of the Knicks, the culture of the organization, all of that, all of that, you you don't give him 100% of the credit, but you absolutely need to give him a good portion of credit. And then when you consider the tangibles for how much he scores, assists, steals, The idea he's a very good uh, uh, defensive player. Why can't Jalen Brunson be the MVP of the NBA? All right, that's it for this pod. More guests to come. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans
1: stay. Let's go
0: places.